Hear now the word of God. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering, a sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not even be the hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenities, foolish talk, coarse jesting, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such as person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Now be careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of God. Be to you may be seated. You'll remember as we get into the book of Ephesians, one of the most powerful things about this particular book is it speaks to us about the calling we have in Jesus Christ. And so as we, we have studied this book so far, we are recognizing that the theme, the overall theme, topic that is a that is a center focus of the book is that God's reconciliation in Christ requires believers like you and me to live a life worthy of the salvation they've received. Now what does that mean to live a life worthy of the salvation? Does that mean that we are pure, sinless, we never sin again? No, of course not. Then what does it mean to live a life worthy of the gospel? Well, it's to live a life united in Jesus Christ and united to one another as his body. And let me tell you, that is a real tall order in a church. It's a very difficult thing to keep the unity of the Spirit. Why? Because we're sinful. Each one of us. Each one of us falls short of what we know we should do and what we should think and how we should talk. 
And so it's not surprising then as we get into the book itself, we've seen in the first three chapters that, that Paul really is talking about not only maintaining the unity that is in Christ, that you were united with Christ. I, I remember when I got married to Cindy, I was 30 years old. I'd lived 30 years without being married to anyone. I had no one to be accountable to except my parents. And suddenly I got in the car and there's this cute little redhead sitting in the, in the passenger seat and it suddenly dawns on me, there is no place I'm going where she will not go. There is nothing I will do that she will not know about or find out. And I want you to know that that night at the honeymoon really became an experience of what it means because we actually did things that we've never done with each other before. And I'm not talking about the intimacy of marriage. I'm just talking about the fact that I had to blow my nose in front of her. So did she. I remember one woman telling me years ago, back in Florence, South Carolina, her husband worked for the railroad company. And she got used to him being away. He'd be away for like three weeks in a row and then be home for an entire week all the time, every day, 24-7. And she said, it, it really was amazing how much I looked forward to him being away for those three weeks after he'd been home a whole week. Some of you were laughing. You know what I'm talking about. You know what the killer was? She said to me, she said, you know, when he retired, I thought I was going to go insane. And I looked at her and I said, why? And she said, I can't even go to the bathroom without him following me. He doesn't know what to do with himself. And I said, well, give him something to do. And she said, I wish. You see, there's a, there's a rub that all of us have with one another, isn't there? I dare say that if you and I are not careful, we will miss the blessing of God because the reason God calls you into a church is to begin to help you deal with the places that you are finding hard to surrender to Jesus Christ. It's one of the reasons why he's given you a mate. Did you know that? If indeed you're married, he has given you the exact mate you need, the person you are married to, to help you become more godly. That's the whole purpose of your marriage. Now you think of that. The purpose of your marriage is to help you deal with your sin, not your, your spouse's sin, your sin. And so it's not surprising then that as we get into chapter 5, Paul begins to deal with some practical implications of what it means to really follow God. That's what our calling is. You are to imitate God, not to imitate me as your pastor, not to imitate the elders of the church or the deacons of this church or even the person sitting beside you. Your goal is to imitate God. I used to love to play a game of imitation with our daughter when she was about two or three. She would say, Daddy, copy me. And so she would do like this, and I would do that, and she'd laugh. She loved it. And, and she'd go like this, and I would do that, and she loved it. And I would say, okay, now you copy me. And she'd say, no, Daddy, you have to copy me. And I'd say, well, why, why, why don't you copy me? She says, I want to be the boss. You see, that's really where we were before we came to Christ. We were in darkness. We thought in dark ways because we thought we were always right. Some of you still do. And it's your biggest problem in following Christ today. 
because you use your lens of what you think is right and you judge other people and it excuses you from dealing with your own sin. You use it as a way of getting around dealing with your own sin problem by blaming other people for being sinful. That's part of the dark thinking of the old life that we were saved from. Why do I tell you all this? Well, Paul gets into this, and we're going to go through it line by line so that you can see it for yourself. He's talked about the reconciliation work of Christ, and he's talked about how we're reconciled to God, not by being good people. We're reconciled to God because of what he did for us in the cross of Christ. And so if you think you, you are far away from God because of some sin you committed long ago that you asked God to forgive you of, you're not believing the gospel. The gospel says that if you confess your sins, God will forgive you. He will cleanse you. And it won't be because you're a good person. It will be because God loves you enough to do this for you through Christ. And so you're standing before God, able to relate to Him, not because of your morality, but because of the fact that He has forgiven you of your immorality. And you say, well, when have I ever done that? Let me just ask you, when have you not? You see, the, the power of the gospel is it doesn't just real, reveal for us the holiness of God, it reveals the sinfulness that's in my heart. How really wicked and despising I can be of God's word, his law. The second part is that we are then called to live that life of reconciliation. Well, what does that mean? Well, we have to learn how to imitate God. Now, those of you who feel like you've done that, you, you've pretty much passed that course, you've got the A-plus mark on your, your endeavor to imitate, imitate God. Just raise your hand, please. Um, I'll step down and let you come into the pulpit. Nope, no one? then all of us agree that we are here to learn how to imitate God, aren't we? That's why we, go, we gather as a church. We are here to learn how to imitate God. Well, that's what Paul is going to really talk about. We talked about this teaching on sanctification. That's a theological word. It's big. But it's a work of God, not you. It's a work of God by which you have your mind removed in such a way that we are, we are renewed in our whole person after the image of God. We have the seeds, we have the seeds of repentance unto life, meaning we always feel like we could be better and we ask God to help us to do so. And then that all other saving graces God puts into us, it, it causes our hearts to yearn to be more like Christ because we know we're not like Jesus. And therefore, by the Holy Spirit at work in us, arouses it, it increases it, it strengthens that work of God's salvation in us so that increasingly, day by day, we are learning how to die to our sins and to rise to newness of life. It is a never-ending process for us, and it won't stop until Jesus comes back. I used to think for the longest time, if I were a Christian, I wouldn't say that. If I was a Christian, I wouldn't think that. And there is some truth in that, in that if I was really freed from this body of death and given the glory that God has prepared for us in the future, then I would be free from the 
influence of sin. But when Christ came into your life, he overcame the slavery you had to sin. He removed its mastery of your life. Now he's taken away the power of sin to control you. He has now brought you into a relationship where you are now able to walk with God and sin's presence is still here tempting us, but it is not our master, Jesus is. Well, why is this so important? Well, remember so far he's taught us some important principles about this step of sanctification. We, not someone else, me, myself, and you, are to put off the old, we're to have our mind renewed in our way of thinking, and we're to put on the new. That's what Paul says. If you go back and read all that we've studied so far, he puts it that simply. You're to put off the old, which was in the darkness that was not wanting to be united with Jesus Christ. Put it off, renew your thinking, and put on what it means to be united with Christ in the new life that God is leading us to. And so in doing this, he wants you to imitate God. You're to do what God does. And so in doing that, we have to recognize as Christians that there are methods we can choose. We can use the right method. In other words, we can do the things that are pleasing to God, or we can actually do things that we think please God and ask him to bless it. Have you ever done that, by the way? Have you ever done things and said, God, I hope you like what I did because I really was sincere about trying to serve you. You know, that always works until you get into trouble. Like you, you go to your, your spouse and say, you know, I really love you, but you're an idiot. And then they get angry at you. Well, why would they be angry at you? You told them the truth, right? But no, it's the, the way you told them. It was the spirit in which you told them. It was the castigation as if you were somehow judging them as God would judge them. That's a wrong method. You see, what business do you have? Do you get this? What business do you have as someone who has been admittedly involved in doing what God does not want you to do and passing on judgment on anyone else? Doesn't it say that God will judge? Yeah. So then how am I to imitate God? Well, Paul gives us, interestingly enough, if you start reading the passage, he gives us a very interesting imagery there. Look at verse 1, chapter 5. In the Pew Bible it says, Be imitators of God, therefore as dearly beloved children. Now, I love that. Because, one, it shows us an image that is precious. Who cannot, who cannot help but smile when a small child comes up and just wants you to give them attention so desperately that they love you and they care for you and they need you. And so they look at you and ask you, please notice me. I remember when Ann was little, she used to say, Dad, chase me. Chase me. Chase me, Daddy. Chase me. And so I'd chase her around the room, and she'd laugh and giggle, and she loved it. She never wanted me to catch her, but she'd say, chase me. 
And, and I, I thought that was so interesting. Why? Why does she want me to chase her? She desires my attention. She desires my approval. She desires my love. She wants me to notice her. And so as dearly beloved children, this is the imagery that Paul brings into our walk with God through Jesus Christ, that God loves it when we come to him as children and say, God, give me your attention. God, pay attention to me. God, show me. God, help me. This is the way in which a dearly beloved child approaches the Father. This is the way God and desires that you come to him in Jesus Christ. It's a humble thing to, do th to see this, isn't it? And the other thing that's really powerful is he says that not only as dearly beloved children, but you are to f imitate God in the sense that as of dearly beloved children, you're to walk in the way of love. And you say, now where did you get that? Go back to chapter 4. Verse 32, Logan preached on this so wonderfully. By the way, if you didn't hear that sermon, you should go back in there. Because as you go back and look at this verse, it's a continuation into what we're reading today. He says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ has forgiven you. Now let me ask you something. Do you have something against somebody right now? You're not imitating God. You're holding a grudge, and you're, de you're denying yourself unity with Christ and unity with his people because you will not let go of something you think other people have done that is just wrong. Well, it may be wrong, but who are you to judge it? God will judge it. And you know something? God will forgive it. And that's why he says, you should be forgiving just as God in Christ forgave you. This is how you're to imitate God. So, wow. I mean, I don't know if I can do that. Exactly. You can't. This is why you need Jesus Christ. Only his power at work in you can free you from the bitterness the resentment, the judgment, or the judgmentalism of your heart that comes not from the new nature, the old nature. Isn't that powerful? Doesn't that just arrest you? This is why we talk about saving, Jesus saving us from our sins, because we are so prone to sin against one another. We are so prone, just like the reason the document I wrote it, read this morning, the Declaration of Independence, we are so prone to oppress others, to judge others, to put down others. Well, you're, you don't have enough hair. Well, your skin's not the right color. Well, you don't come from the right part of the country. You see, all of that is inappropriate for the new person of Christ. All of that is so inappropriate. How do I know that? Well, look at the passage again. He goes on and he talks about that there should be no hint of sexual immorality, impurity, or greed. Not a hint. Now, if you, if you could just have a tape to replay your thoughts in the last 24 hours, how many of you would have more than just a hint? Well, why, all of us, wouldn't it? I was laughing with the teenagers this morning because... I have befriended someone on Facebook, and I guess it's the only way I'm getting it, but there's a uh, young woman coming on what's called a TikTok. You ever heard what a TikTok is? I don't even know what that is. It's a TikTok. 
And this girl's coming on, and she must be in her 20s, and she's, she's fully clothed, but she's, she's just trying to get such attention from everybody. She's just wanting people to look at her. And it suddenly dawned on me, you know what, you know what people who want who do this? They're wanting someone to give them attention. And the fulfillment of her life would be if she would pursue God that way. God, chase me. God, chase me. God, chase me. But instead of finding the fulfillment that God meant for her, she's now putting her image all over the Internet, and she's causing all kinds of problems for all kinds of people because she's being so suggestive. And you kind of go... And you take a step back from that and you think, you know, she, such beauty, but then it becomes ugly. Have you noticed that? This is why Paul talks about this. Now, here's the real question. Why would Paul need to talk about sexuality in Ephesus concerning imitating God? If you go to the ruins of Ephesus today and you walk down the public street, what you would call Main Street of the ruins of that city, you will come to a building that's still standing that used to be the library of Ephesus. It contained all the human knowledge of that time in scrolls that were there for everyone to obtain and to absorb and to digest. And so all this knowledge was in this building. All this knowledge of what what life is about and how to do things. You know, for those of you who are in constructions, if you wanted to know how to fix some kind of John Deere tractor, it probably had a diagram in there of how to do it. I'm just teasing. But it had a, a how-to kind of approach. You could find anything in this library. Right out the front door and to the side was the public house of prostitution which had both male and female attendees so that every desire could be satiated. And what was even worse was on a hill above the city was this beautiful columned temple that was dedicated to an idol that when you went and worshipped that idol, you feasted on the food that was served and you became drunk and you filled yourself with all kinds of debauchery. And Paul was writing to the Ephesians because they were being called out of that kind of lifestyle through Jesus Christ to a new way of living. In fact, he goes on to say, there should not only be no hint, you don't even want to talk in this way anymore. You don't even want to talk the way you used to, whether it was obscenities or foolish joke or coarse talking. Why? Because such a person who lives that way, practicing it day by day, is an idolater. Notice that? It's an idolater who takes what God created that is good and precious and wonderful and then takes it and twists it and uses it in ways that God never meant it to be used. And it was a problem with the sexuality of that culture 
that they were taking sexuality, which God says is good and wonderful and it's a gift to be used in marriage between a man and a woman, and it was being perverted in all kinds of forms. And Paul says, this is the reason you were called from this old life to the new you were to put off that way of living. How do I do that? Well, it begins by recognizing that you're to please God. Jesus, pursue me. Jesus, pursue me. Daddy, I need your attention. God, my Father, I need you. And in that whole way of pursuing us, God, through the Holy Spirit, is wooing us away from the darkness of what we used to be a part of. And now we have to learn. Listen to me. We have to learn how to love God in such a way that it becomes evident in the differences that we choose to do, how to live, in what ways we confess sins before God that others in the world don't. Let me ask you something. Have you noticed in the month of June how almost everywhere you go we are being invited, we're being invited to celebrate Pride Day or Gay Pride. Have you noticed that? It's being supported by our entire system, our corporations. If you go on any kind of media, you'll see flags of the rainbow. It is almost being blanketed over our culture as if this is all acceptable and good and right. And in fact... This is the place where Christians are going to be persecuted more than any other place in the coming decade. Because if we take seriously what Paul has said here, it's not just with those who are same-sex attractions. It is with everyone. It is everywhere. I was walking through the neighborhood a couple of weeks ago, and there was a, a young woman walking her dog. It was early in the morning, and we greeted one another as I walked my dog. And I said, what's your dog's name? By the way, have you ever noticed it's easier to rem remember people's dog's name than their name? Have you ever noticed that? <laughs> Can't figure that out. Well, anyway, we, we were talking. I said, oh, you're new to the neighborhood. And she said, yes, I am. I said, where are you from? She said, I'm from such and such. And I said, that's great. I hope you enjoy this area. We really love it here. We've been here a while. And she said, you know, I really have. I said, well, where are you living? And she sold me the house and it's across the road and it's someone else's neighborhood. And I was thinking, oh, okay, well, um, I, I guess, uh, is it just you? And she says, no, I'm with my partner. And I said, oh, that's wonderful. Um, wh what's your partner's name? And she told me his name. And I said, oh. And, and it suddenly dawned on me that that now has become the new word. We don't say husband. We don't say wife. We say partner. And as we talked, uh, I said, well, you know, we, we, we're just wondering, you know, do um, you have any children yet? She said, no, we haven't married yet, and we haven't made that decision yet. And I thought, oh, okay. Now, I could have been the stereotypical Christian that's painted in the culture and stood by her and said, you sleazy woman. But that's not of God's spirit. That has nothing to do with the spirit of God. Why would I expect anyone to live or at least desire to live a moral life if they don't know Jesus Christ? What she needs is someone to love her enough to come beside her and begin to tell her who Jesus is 
by not just words, but by activity of love. This is what changed the, the town of Phili the Ephesians or Ephesus. This is what made the gospel so powerful to a people who thought they had everything and had nothing because they didn't know God. They worshipped a statue. And by coming to know the people who are now saying, you know, I used to live that way and I don't want to live that way anymore. People began to say, why? Why don't you come and join us in our feasts anymore? Look, I haven't seen you at the local temple. What's going on with you? I found a better way. What, do you, what better way? What better way is there? His name is Jesus. And you know something? It's really wonderful to see how that transpires in our world. You know, for the longest time in the South, we were called the Bible Belt. Do you know why that was? It's because someone put a belt around the Bible. No, no, no. It was, it was the region in the South where basically everyone went to church. You, 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 the first thing you did when you moved into a city was you found a church. That's what you did. Almost even before you bought a house. What's happening today? last thing people think about is church especially the next generation why because they see church as an institution that is judgmental and what they need to hear is a, a people who have come to find a savior who is forgiving and can reconcile us to God isn't that glorious isn't that beautiful the ministry that God has called us to, it's such a powerful thing. And so the wrong methods, if, if you're choosing the wrong method, you're going to have the wrong results. You're going to deceive yourself. You see, there'll be people who will come and say, you know, it doesn't matter. You know, we're forgiven. We can live any way we want. No, that's deception. That that's really is. Because we know that the judgment and the wrath of God is coming on the world because of the immorality in the world. Let me tell you, there is no doubt in my mind that God is going to bring judgment upon this nation unless we repent of our sins. Just like he has every other nation of the world. And he will judge every nation, every peoples, every tribes. Do you know we say that every Sunday? Do you know that? I believe he will come to judge the quick and the dead. I used to think when I was a kid, when we said he would come to judge the quick, it meant if you were fast enough, you could get away. But if you weren't that quick, he was going to get you. No, quicken means those who are quickened alive in Jesus Christ. Do you hear what we're saying? He will come to judge those who are quickened, those who are alive in Jesus Christ, and those who are dead, those who are not alive in Jesus Christ. And so God is going to judge the church for how we represented him in the world. Paul says, listen, don't partner with those outside of Christ. Now, what does he mean by that, partner? Well, he means so unite yourself that you begin to imitate them instead of God that you begin to imitate anything but God 
I remember when Levi jeans were popular when I was growing up. Do you know? You ever own a pair of Levi jeans? Those things are wonderful. I love jeans. My mother and father couldn't afford Levi jeans when they came out, so they brought me a J.C. Penney jean. The J.C. Penney jean had no design on the back of the of the pocket. The, you know, the Levi has what? It has a kind of a little V. Yeah, remember that. Well, my jeans didn't have that. And so I was ashamed to go to school. I mean, I, I wore jeans like everybody else, but I was ashamed. Why? Because I didn't have Levi's. And I went to Mom one day and I said, Mom, why can't I have Levi's? And she said, because they cost too much. I said, well, I can't wear these jeans anymore. And she said, why? Because they're not Levi's. And she looked at me and she said, is it really so important to you what people think about what you wear that you would live in such a way? Those words still carry in my heart today because that's really the choice we have before us. Do you love Jesus enough to imitate him? What do I mean? To be kind and compassionate even to the worst of sinners. Are you imitating him? Do you really love others the way Jesus loves others? Do you forgive others just in the same way Christ has forgiven you? Yeah. I, I can see it on your faces. Every one of you are joining me right now and you're saying, oh, but I, I want to live that way. I really want to live that way. I really do. Then you need the power of Christ. Right now, you need him. Please don't go away from this place thinking you were going to fix this later. He's here in this place right now talking to you. And he's wooing you. And he's saying, Robert, I'm chasing you. Robert, I'm chasing you. You have my full attention. You know the greatest part of the chase? Anne was, I would never tell her this, she was a little too fast. I, I couldn't quite catch her. But there would come a point where she would let me catch her. And I'd take her in my arms and hug the stuffing out of her. And she finally was getting what she really needed, what she really wanted. That's what God wants to do for you this morning in Christ. He wants you to love him so much that you'll imitate him in every part of your living. Would you pray with me?
the power of the cross. We, we sang about that this morning. The power of the cross. That power at work in us to conform us to the image of Christ. There may be someone in the sound of my voice who, who recognizes that, that they, they have all the outward appearance of being a Christian, but they have no kindness or compassion for anyone in their life. They are still struggling with forgiving others. God, I pray for that person. I pray for myself. I, I want to imitate you in being kind to those who don't deserve it and being compassionate to others who really are an irritation to me. In this moment, if you would ask God, he will. But you must ask him. Jesus, come into my heart and give me this compassion and kindness. Help me to forgive just as you have forgiven me. So that I might live differently and be freed from my sin. We ask and we pray it in the name of Jesus, our Lord. And everyone said,